0: Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. And with me today, Kimberly Majeski. Hi, Jim. Hey, Kimberly. We're so glad you're here. I'm a guy who thinks there is a God, and he's on the throne. And no matter what else happens in the course of human events, or even natural disasters, there is a God who is anchoring this world and gives me hope that things can move to a better place no matter how dark the hour. By the same token, I think there are things in history that can give us some assurance. Yes. People who've lived through turbulent times before us. Maybe had many challenges, and they survived. Mm -hmm. Or even if they did not survive in the way in which we think they should have survived, their life and legacy still speaks across Mm -hmm. time to reassure us that there's some things more important than the moment, and that even what we might think as a staggering loss can actually be, in some cases, a gain, a gain perhaps for the world that follows them. Well, that brings me to, I've been kind of thinking about saints, okay?
1: I love that. <laughs>
0: I'm, not, I'm not talking about like that NFL team. <laughs> New Orleans, yeah. I'm not talking about a song. Mm-hmm. And I'm not actually talking about statues and church buildings and so on. I'm talking about real stories of real people in real time mm-hmm. who lived extraordinary lives. So extraordinary that when they passed from this world, people looked back and thought, wow, those people actually made a difference. There are many different disciplines of the Christian family that define sainthood differently, have processes, and so on. But for our purposes today, and starting this week on Viewpoint, Kimberly, let's dive into some stories. I would love it. Some people that we can all agree are truly saints. And when we come back, let's talk a little bit about what it means to be a saint, how different people consider the term, but then also let's talk about somebody today that actually has a jaw-dropping story that reaches across centuries. (music) Kimberly Majeski, you are a learned woman who has learned from life. I mean, you have some uh, ups and downs in life. We were just earlier before the program began talking about some of the losses we've suffered in our families. And what I'm just reflecting is you've learned things from life along the way. And sometimes we learn from hard things as well as Mm -hmm. good things.
1: And from the lives of people who've gone before us, for sure.
0: Absolutely. And you've studied. I mean, you have been learning from experience, but also by design. Mm -hmm. And so you have been to school and you have some diplomas and degrees that bear witness to your discipline of learning. Mm -hmm. And I know that in that journey of learning, you've been to different schools that have been framed by different traditions, right? I
1: have. Mm -hmm.
0: So for instance, your last degree came from where?
1: the University of Notre Dame. <laughs> there it is, right?
0: Right in Indiana. Home of Rudy. <laughs> Not so far from us, but no. one of the great Catholic institutions of higher learning yes. always, but it's framed by a Catholic understanding mm-hmm. of life and theology, true? Yes. And and you teach at Notre University, which is the Church of God school. The Church of God is the host of our broadcast and right. also the movement of God's people that gave birth to Notre University, mm-hmm. which has a different theological construct on some issues. Mm-hmm. So you've you've had a diverse exposure even in your professional training.
1: Is that was intentional? I uh, I did a I did a master's of divinity at the Anderson University School of Theology, and yeah, it was important for me to kind of branch out and uh, ha- broaden my my base of um, theological perspective to kind of survey those uh, different uh, ways of looking at things.
0: And the Church of God of which we're a part is a part of the Protestant family of believers, differentiated from the Roman Catholic Mm -hmm. family of believers, which is also differentiated from the Eastern Orthodox family of believers. Sometimes people don't realize (laughs) that there are many different streams
1: that have developed over a couple thousand
0: years. (laughs) And one of the things that is a marker between these church families, broadly speaking, sometimes Mm -hmm. is the way in which we think about saints the Roman Catholic Church has a very robust theology about sainthood. They have Mm -hmm. a process for what they call canonization. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Eastern Orthodox Churches also see saints somewhat differently than do the Roman Catholics, but also a very robust theology about it. In the Protestant Church, not so much. Mm -hmm. Uh, A little maybe skittish about talking about saints because of the way in which the word has been defined culturally or by other groups. But We're here today to say that all believers actually agree on this. A saint is someone who has lived in such a way and been redeemed by the blood of Christ that they have found their way to a place in heaven. Absolutely. That all believers are saints Mm -hmm. as they come to Jesus in heaven. Mm -hmm. And so that it's not just a specific class, it's not a hierarchy that we would recognize, and so would the Catholics and the Orthodox, that those are all saints. But then in this world, there's a sense of sainthood that sometimes is reserved for certain persons. I'm one who thinks that I'm not sure there's that hierarchy in our historic comprehension either. But what is true, there are some outstanding stories that we might call saints.
1: There are.
0: But the assignment of the word saint before someone's name, again, in different disciplines of the Christian family, have different meanings. For me, I could affix the name saint to a lot of people who will never be recognized in the Roman or Orthodox churches. Mm -hmm. My grandmother, Pearl Worthen, was a saint. She (laughs) truly was. I could say Saint Pearl. yes, Uh, But I don't normally speak that way, but that concept of sainthood for all those whose lives, either in their passing or in their way of life, confesses their witness, Mm -hmm. these are the saints, people who have been redeemed, by jesus so that brings us to wow that opens up a door to another concept which is i would call the communion of the saints Mm -hmm. now there's a thing called the apostles creed that some people recite and some abhor and some have never heard of (laughs) but in it it's an ancient statement of what you might say universal belief within the christian community in ancient time that says we are in the communion of the saints right How would you understand that? And where does that come from? Is there a passage of Scripture for just like in Hebrews? Doesn't it say something like this, that we actually are surrounded by this community?
1: So I understand, of course, the Apostles' Creed comes out of the Council of Nicaea, a fourth century um, meeting, and they derive this understanding from the Bible, from Hebrews, and this connection that we have on this earth with those who've gone before. Um, with those saints who are now on the other side, who reside with God in heaven. And that
0: once they leave this world, it doesn't mean that they no longer exist in any conscious way for Mm -hmm. us, but actually they're people that we can look to. And Hebrews chapter 11, for instance, famously Mm catalogs a list of great figures in the Old Testament who by faith pleased God and found their way into his arms— And then as the author of this letter to the Hebrews in chapter 11 brings that Mm -hmm. narrative to a close, Mm -hmm. he opens up in Hebrews chapter 12 with some very important verses. Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 4, what does it say?
1: Beginning in verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, You have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin.
0: There are many branches of the Christian family that actually have calendars, liturgical calendars that are designed to remind people of Mm -hmm. some of the stories of these great men and women of old. These are calendars of saints, you might say. Famously, the Roman Catholic Church has a calendar with set dates, what they call feast days, Mm -hmm. to remember certain stories. But, you know, the Orthodox churches have a similar thing. Sometimes they they are the same dates for the same great figures, and sometimes they diverge. Mm -hmm. The Anglican Church which grew out of the Church of England, actually the Anglican Communion, as it's called, is the largest branch of Christianity in the world after the Roman Catholics. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have their own calendar. The Lutherans also are not strangers to this concept. Uh, So both in Protestant, Catholic, and Orthodox Church families, there are calendars that exist to remind people through the year of some of these great stories. For our purposes, I've just kind of pulled off the shelf the Anglican calendar. Okay. Because it's uh, an interesting Protestant approach Mm -hmm. to the sainthood. And in the month of January, in the Anglican calendar of great souls, you might say, there are some outstanding and fascinating names. And for today, let's think about one of those, which also is celebrated in the Orthodox and in the Roman Catholic Church families, as well as many Protestant families, and that's a woman named Agnes. Yes. What do you know about little, little Agnes? Little Agnes?
1: Well, I know a good bit about Agnes. Uh, you know, my research is really uh, focused on early Christian holy women. So I learned about her some years ago. Uh, she's really a, uh, an important martyr because she is so very young.
0: She's just a teenager, we think. She's
1: just a teenager, and um, she's born to a wealthy family. She has uh, Her family has position and power in the city. Uh, they're pagans, and uh, she converts to Christianity.
0: And this is the early 3rd century, I think.
1: Yes, early 3rd century, and for her, this is during a time of uh, state-sanctioned persecution. So under the emperor Diocletian is really when the statewide, empire-wide persecution begins. The
0: government is in opposition to Christians, right. flat there's, out.
1: There's been persecution localized in different cities before, but this is the first time th- there's a law. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, or we call it in the Latin the crestus, then then you will be killed. So it's a
0: capital Um, offense. It's
1: a capital offense, and and it's known. Uh, And still, she converts and uh, lives a life of faith.
0: Now, her name, Agnes, actually, in the original core of the name, I think, means pure or chaste, something like that. Yes, it does. But similar to the Latin word for lamb, Mm -hmm. so she's often pictured over time with a lamb because there's a sense of purity and sacrifice about her story.
1: That's right. And uh, her story uh, is, is because she seems to be this young, beautiful, pure child, um, her story is compelling even to the pagans, even to the Romans um, when it takes place. So as with all young women in this time, they would have been called on to to marry.
0: She would have been betrothed by her pagan family. She
1: would have been betrothed. This is how, in the Roman state, process happened. This is how you elevate yourself. Who you marry has everything to do with your status and position. So it's, it's a basic... Uh, it's a basic staple of the Roman state. And so it has a
0: lot of material outcomes too, because if you marry well, then there's a certain family line that inherits well.
1: That's right. And if you don't, not so much. And so it's very important for, for instance, patrician men to marry wealthy. Women and vice versa. Uh, so, so it's very important in the Roman system, because, because in the Roman system, men are to fulfill male duties, women are to fulfill um, female duties. If that falls apart, the belief was that the whole Roman society would yes. fall
0: apart. Yes, everything is crumbled then. Right.
1: So when Agnes is um, sought after by these suitors... And she makes her uh, stance against it and says instead that she's married to Jesus, that this I'm is just her not going to get
0: married, and certainly not to you.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, this is seen as a, a violation of the law of state. Um, it's actually something we see in a lot of early Christian women's stories. This is sort of an act of resistance. This is a way that Christian women could say, no, I'm not going to be a part of this system. I'm going to do otherwise.
0: I am asserting my right... To be subordinate to something else than your system. Yes. I'm submitting myself to Jesus, not to you.
1: Yes. And many, many, many of them uh, were martyred because of it. Agnes is one who is very important and very early on in the stories.
0: And the truth is there are a lot of saint stories that have a little bit of uh, thin evidence. But this is one that actually is attested to by other sources. Right. Her martyrdom the fact that she is going to be apprehended for her faith is an historic piece that actually had huge impact on Rome.
1: Right. It's it's attested to in the Roman record. Um, I think it was horrific because she was young uh, and pure. Um, she she uh, maintains her virginity even though she is uh, sought after by various men. And there are many stories about how um, attempts are made to you know marry her to violate her to violate her and and different miraculous things happen. She's in one story she's seen naked and her hair grows to cover her um, it, the intimacy of her body. Some suitors who who try to violate her um, go blind. Uh, so there's all sorts of stories about attempts to uh, to steal her virtue and and failure. Um, they they try to kill her several times. Uh, It doesn't work. Finally, she is killed under Diocletian um, in the arena.
0: And uh, the horrific murder of this young woman becomes a cause in Rome. Even the pagans who do not recognize Jesus Mm -hmm. watch this tragedy and say, wait a minute, something's the matter with this. (laughs) Do we have to murder young teenage girls to prove that our gods are superior or to maintain our system? What kind of system do we have anyway? She's not if, a
1: gladiator. She's a young, beautiful caused, young girl.
0: And she's caused no one any harm. Mm-hmm. How can this be right? Even the unbelievers recognized this is wrong.
1: That's right. So it caused quite a stir uh, in Rome, and she's remembered uh, in the Roman record as well as in martyrology for her strong stance and for how important it was for the city to begin to question these persecutions because it just seemed so outlandish that this beautiful, well-born child of a patrician would find herself in this predicament.
0: And the outcome would be that people who otherwise might never have even considered Jesus or a different way of living started to think.
1: That's right. If
0: that girl is so committed to that Jesus, Mm -hmm. maybe there's something there I should think about too.
1: That's right. And
0: her passing, as terrifying and tragic as it is, actually gives life to Mm -hmm. another generation that begins to rethink the way in which they have proceeded down the road
1: that's right. We, they talk about how she spoke about how she was just going to meet her bridegroom, and uh, she wouldn't deny herself that uh, union. Uh, so so her resistance even maintained in the arena. She didn't give them the satisfaction, the story goes, of, yes. of screaming or <laughs> fighting or, or trying to keep from being harmed. She faced it uh, gladly because it meant that she would be together with Christ, who was her spouse.
0: And if not gladly... Certainly bravely mm-hmm. and courageously. And this dramatic tale actually, again, grounded in real history
1: yes.
0: with real impact has some lessons for us today. And if the scripture can be believed, and I think it can be, we'd have to understand that Agnes is today in that cloud of witnesses mm. watching us. She's called Agnes the Child Martyr of Rome. She's thought to have been murdered in the year 209. Mm. That's the early 3rd century. And her legacy still speaks to us today.
1: I think this resolution to uh, wed ourselves to Christ no matter what is something that can inspire all of us. Um, That sometimes that means we have to resist things in our own culture, in our own world, In our own communities, because our allegiance to Christ is the most important.
0: And what strikes me about her story is that she lived in a world where normal was not healthy. Mm. And she resisted that. She refused to define herself by what her community thought was normal. And she herself said, there's a better way. There's a more righteous way. And Jesus was showing her that way. We live in a world where some things are thought to be normal that we should not have to accept. Mm. And when it comes to our own journeys, we need to find that Jesus is the light of our pathway. Mm. And we will follow him even if that takes us against the grain of the social context that says to us, well, this is normal. Uh, This is the way it should be, even at great harm. And Agnes's story is one that her life is not measured by her years but by her bright light. And it brought life to others, even as she found herself in the arms of Jesus much earlier than most of us would prefer. Mm -hmm. It's a great story, and there are so many more. And wherever you are, know this. Whatever you're facing, whatever the challenge, whatever the dare, there's someone before you who's been in a similar place. And those people who have been in that place with Jesus have shown us a way. They are a cloud of witnesses. And The passage in Hebrews says their witness should keep our focus on Jesus. Mm -hmm. So this year, our prayer for you is that you will be able to stare in the face of Jesus and hear the words of Jesus and experience the spirit of Jesus so that you too might be fairly described as a saint. Yes, it's possible. No matter where you've been or what you've done, you could be in this year a saint. Pray with us. Our Father, we're so thankful today for the way in which you see us. You don't see us in all of our broken places. You see us in all the places that you can mend and make whole. You see what we can be, and you can call the best out of us. And you can breathe into us a sense of holiness and courage and gravity that anchors us in you, that can make us even saintly. Thank you for the faith and the witness of Agnes. Thank you that she lives on. Thank you for the many more who are with her, above. And we pray, Lord, that we here below in this year, 2020, will live in such a way that the world will know that Jesus is Lord and we are completely alleged to him. We confess, Lord, that we have not always been what we should be. And we ask that you will repair us, redeem us, restore us, and make us new. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, and how it can bring life into the deepest reach of your being and to others, give us a call. Just dial this number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. 24 hours a day and seven days a week. We're by the phone, and we are always glad to hear from you. Kimberly, if someone did not want to call us up, but felt more comfortable checking us out online, where would they go?
1: Yeah, we'd love it if you'd visit us online at cbhviewpoint.org. Send us a message, and we'll get right back to you.
0: CBH Christians Broadcasting Hope, that's who we are, cbhviewpoint.org. Or at the last, just send me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But whether you call us up, check us out online, or use the post, please let us hear from you this week. Kimberly, I just want to talk more about Agnes and your visit to Rome. But hey, for another day today, thanks for being with us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And we thank you for joining us too. And we hope that you'll be back with us again next week as we continue with another story, as we unpack another testimony of someone we can fairly call a saint that speaks across time to the here and now. Until then, for all of us at the Viewpoint Ministry team, this is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned.